Well, how many of you read Job? It's a long one, 42 chapters. How many of you read Job before? You got an idea about Job. Okay, good, that's, that's nice. Um, uh, I can joke, you know, if you're looking for a job, you'll find one in the Bible after Esther before Psalms. My humor is very dry and witty. <laughs> but yeah, you won't really find a job in the Bible, but you'll find a Job, a man named Job. And Job is probably not actually his real name, believe it or not. His, that, that name, Job, means hated. It means persecuted. So it's probably a nickname that this man had gotten. So we know him as Job. Job is an interesting book. Um, for many reasons, and many of us have read it, to be comforted in the time of suffering. In fact, that's the title of the message today, A Season of Suffering, as you'll see why I've titled that. Job probably lived, if you want to get a time frame, the Bible is not set up the books chronologically. Job probably lived around the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason why scholars believe that is because Job uh, in there is no mention of Moses, no mention of the book of the law. So probably put him more in the, maybe one of the first books uh, chronologically of the Bible, if you want to put it in that uh, place. In Job, you have a lot of questions. In fact, more questions in Job than any other book in the Bible, about 330 questions. And I know many of us, when we are suffering, we have questions, don't we, for God? The biggest question always is, why? Why is this happening to me, right? And Job answers that. That's the beauty of Job. Job teaches us why. I tell you a quick little story of someone I know that shared with me after the fact that they had gone through quite a bit of suffering. Growing up, this man had a pretty good life, a good family, he had gone off to serve in the military, in the Marines. Any Marines in the house? All right. <laughs> and so he served and he um, finished his, his time and then he went um, and, and got a job. He got married and he had a pretty good life going. Um, then, kind of like Job, some disaster struck. Seemed to be all at once. It kind of started with uh, the divorce and then it, it, hit, it hits uh, that he lost his job, and then he needed to find a different place to live, but his identity was stolen, and so his credit was shot, and now he was living in his car in the dead of winter, trying to stay warm, and so he was really at the bottom of the barrel. He had hit rock bottom, and the only thing that comforted him, as he shared this with me years later, was Job. Job had taught him not why he was going through this, but what he could learn from it. And ultimately what he learned is that God had a plan. God had a plan for him, and there was a purpose for his suffering. If you're a new Christian, let me tell you, and you read the first two chapters of Job, your mind will be blown. Am I right? I mean, what you see in the first two chapters of Job is just like, what is going on? This is crazy. Here's a man who basically um, had everything going for him, and then it's all taken away. 
And then you find out why it's all taken away. There's this conversation between God and the devil, Satan. And God allows Satan. In fact, he points out to Satan, have you considered Job? That's scary, right? I mean, that is really scary. But very thought-provoking. That's just the first two chapters. Chapters 3 through 37, the bulk of the book, is Job's conversation with his so-called friends. Right? And the mental agony that he's going through. And his comforting friends. You know why I'm doing air quotes there, okay? In a little bit. The final chapters of Job is the restoration. And Job is restored um, from God. I wondered as I was reading the book, I'm sure you had your own questions, but I wondered as I was reading the book, how long did Job suffer? We don't get a time frame. Was it weeks? Was it months? Was it years? I wondered that. How long did he suffer? So I call it a season. Because we all will have seasons of suffering, won't we? You've been through a season of suffering. You're maybe in one right now. You will be one in the future because suffering is a fact of life. Is it not? The question is better than any other question. Now why? But what's your response? What's going to be your response to God in your suffering? My hope is that, you, that Job will speak to you today. That the Holy Spirit will speak through me and you will hear and understand how you can respond, how you can worship God in the midst of suffering. If you don't hear anything at all, I pray that you hear that this morning, that you can worship God even in the midst of suffering. And you can say what Job said, the most important verse in the whole book of Job, Job 23.10, he said, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I love that verse. That's the most important verse that you need to hear. Let's pray. God, let this message really sink into our hearts. Father, as we encounter suffering people, as we encounter suffering ourselves, Lord, let this message give us hope and be a blessing to us. Father, give us ears to hear today. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. I start off with Job 1.1 and show you how Job had um, wonderful um, prosperity. In fact, it says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright, one who feared God, and he turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters, which I think is perfect. Five-on-five basketball, come on. (laughs) Just saying. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. This man was the greatest of all people of the East. Life was good for Job. But then the disaster came. Verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Like he didn't know. 
Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it, causing all kinds of trouble on this earth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now Satan complained that God had put a hedge of protection around Job, and that's why he was worshiping God and he was a a great man. But God said, okay, I'll remove that hedge of protection. And then fire and wind came, and his family was killed. All of uh, his property was taken away. All gone. What's Job's response? Job 1, verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Man, that sounds familiar. Did we not sing about that this morning? Did we? I think we did. I think those were the lyrics of our song. He worshipped God. Everything was taken away from him, yet he worshipped God. Then the physical suffering within. Job, or without, actually on the outside. Job was given these sores. Sores from head to toe. So bad that he took broken piece of pottery and scraped the sores to give himself some kind of relief. You ask, why didn't Satan just kill him? Why was he torturing him? Because the answer is, and you know it if you read it, God wouldn't allow him to take his life. This is very important, I think, because you need to understand that even though Satan has the ability to roam and cause trouble, Satan is on a leash. God has him on a leash. He cannot do whatever he wants to do. God controls what he can do. Always remember that. Job's wife responds, and generally you ladies are very comforting in your responses. But his wife said, do not hold fast to your integrity. Curse God and die. But he said to his lovely, beautiful wife, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job worshipped God while he suffered. That was his response. What's your response when you go through some physical suffering? We've all been there, right? We've all had our moments, and maybe we're in it right now. Most people complain. Oh, why me? Oh, man, this sucks. I don't like this. Right? We don't like it. We think maybe you know, we should avoid it because we're a Christian and we go to church. <laughs> do you pout or do you praise? Do you whine or do you worship? That's the question. It's important, I think, in order for you to get to the point where you can praise God and worship God, is that you have this biblical worldview of what's going on. There's spiritual warfare in the world. It's real. It's happening. We need to be aware of that. We need to understand that. It helps us pray. It helps us worship when we have God's knowledge, God's wisdom. James says if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. And we need that wisdom. Paul and Silas were missionaries, starting churches. And when they were sharing the gospel on a mission trip, the enemy attacked. 
They must have been doing a good thing. We always feel that when we are making progress, when we see people turning to the Lord, people taking that next step of maybe baptism, or coming to church on a regular basis, or tithing, that those next steps we take in growing our faith, we always say, look out, man, because the enemy doesn't like that. And the enemy didn't like it when Paul and Silas were sharing the gospel. It says in Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 25, the crowd attacked them. The magistrates tore their garments and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted them with many blows, they threw him into prison, ordering the jailer to keep him safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison, keep it right there, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, how do you think they responded to all of that? What was their response? Did they complain? Oh, come on, God, man, we're doing this for you. We're traveling all over, we're going without food, and, and it's miserable, and we're, we're serving you, and we're preaching the gospel, and now look at you, just, we just got beat, and we're in jail, and we're probably going to be killed. What do you think they did? Verse 25 tells us, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were still witnessing Yeah, we're suffering, but we're praising God for their suffering. Through suffering, you will experience the power of his resurrection. Through suffering, you will grow in your faith. You will trust God more when you make it through it. Amen? There's the mental suffering. Job had friends. (laughs) They first were pretty good friends. Actually, Job chapter 2, verse 13, they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word for him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Now, if only these friends would have just gone home after seven days, then they would have truly been great friends, right? Do you know the best thing to say to someone when they're suffering loss? Nothing. Let your action be your words. Just be there. You don't need to say anything. I wish I could take my own advice, okay? (laughs) It's so hard, right? We just want to say something. But truly, don't say anything. Now, after seven days, Job speaks up. He shares his frustration. It's Job chapter 3, verse 1. He opens his mouth, and what does he do? He curses the day of his birth. And it's not just one verse. It's the next 25 verses. Like, he is cursing the day of his birth. Why was I ever born? This is horrible. Now, what do you say to somebody who just goes off, right, on their problem? Complain, 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 complain. And you hear it, and you hear it, and you hear it, and you hear it. And then what do you say to them after all of that? Nothing! Didn't you just hear me just a minute ago? You don't say anything to them. You just be there for them. But these were friends. So they shared their insight, and that's the bulk of Job. They shared. And honestly, you wouldn't remember their names um, because they're hard to remember. So I've given them some fictitious names to help you remember them. Okay? And uh, you're probably familiar with some of these uh, people. The first friend that speaks up, probably the oldest, the oldest gets to speak first, 
He's, by the way, the biggest windbag. If you follow, he takes two chapters up. The other friends only take one chapter up, okay? And I've named him Michael Scott. Because he's the guy who makes you cringe every time he opens his mouth, right? That's this friend. Job 4, verse 7. Remember, he says to Job, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? He says to him, the innocent prosper. And since you're not prospering, Job, you must be guilty. But Job responds. He doesn't agree with him. So then the next friend speaks up. Ross Geller from Friends. The guy you don't want giving you relationship advice. He probably told Job God was on a break. If you know friends, you know what I'm talking about. What he says, verse 5, chapter 8. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, Job, if you're pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. In other words, if you just repent, Job, if you just repent of your sin, it'll be okay. But Job disagrees because he knows that he had not sinned to get this consequence, if you will. So he disagrees with Ross. Then Sheldon Cooper, Big Bang Theory, speaks. He's just rude and insensitive. He says, you deserve worse than you're getting. Terrible friend. Job doesn't agree with Sheldon either. In fact, he says in Job chapter 16, verse 2, I've heard many such things, and miserable comforters are you all. That's his friends. Now, there was a last friend, probably Kimmy Gibbler from Full House or uh, Paris Geller from uh, Gilmore Girls, uh, both very insensitive uh, in their, but outspoken, <laughs> very much so. Ultimately, Job comes to the conclusion, Job chapter 19, 19, all my intimate friends abhor me. That means hate. And those whom I love have turned against me. By the way, do you have a really good friend that sticks by you in times of trouble? If so, you should be very grateful because Job didn't have one. Well, he did have one that he mentions. It's an interesting friend. In Job 19, verse 25, we see an amazing prophecy that Job gives 3,000 years earlier. For I know, he says, that my Redeemer lives. And he, at the last, he will stand upon the earth. Job's only friend, true friend in this situation, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, hold on. He wasn't born yet. But all of the Old Testament points to the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Does it not? And here Job is pointing that way. He's saying, my friend is Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Oh, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I love that hymn. Through all the suffering, Job worships God. He discovers that even when he's at rock bottom, Jesus is the rock supporting him, holding him up. Mother Teresa said, you will never know if Jesus is enough until Jesus is all you have. Job didn't understand why he was suffering. You may not understand either, but God has a plan, 
And when you worship God, you will see that plan. And I pray you will say what Job said. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know, Job probably witnessed the guy whose job was to purify gold. You take the unrefined gold, you put it into what? Fire. Fire. You put it into a pot and it's in the fire, and the fire melts that gold so hot that it separates the impurities from the pure gold. And that's why Job said that I shall come forth as gold. Because he knew that this fire, this suffering, was for his good. I pray when you respond to your suffering that you rejoice like Paul and Silas and praise God with singing hymns. I pray that you believe you will come forth as gold. In the end, restoration is always sweet. It's comforting to know that Job was restored, wasn't he? Absolutely. Job 38.4, though, before he's restored, Job is, uh, he gets hit upside the head with a two-by-four by God, we'll say. You know when that happens in your life, right? Job 38.4, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth, God says? Tell me if you have that understanding. Boy. <laughs> right? The best part is Job's friends get a tongue lashing, and they actually have to bring their sacrifice to Job, so Job will pray for them. God is in control. Job finally says, 42.2, I know you can do all things, God. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job, Job knew that God was in control. I hope you know that this morning. I hope you know that whatever you're going through in life, God has got you covered. Satan is on his leash, and you will come forth as gold. Job was blessed with twice the property, by the way, in the end. Same amount of children. And I think what's really interesting to me, when you really dive into Scripture and you look at names and you, and you just you meditate and you think on stuff, you chew on stuff a little bit, you know, in Scripture, most of the time, the only names that are mentioned are male names, especially when it comes to genealogy and so on and so forth. But here, Job, he has ten more children, and the only three names that are mentioned are the girls' names. And I looked up the name of the firstborn daughter, and I think it's significant. First of all, it says in Job 42.15, In all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. But what I find significant is the name of his firstborn daughter because I think it was given to her as a way of him dealing with how he was going to go through life. I was on the phone yesterday with a good friend of mine who has lost his wife. He's a widow. And it's hard for him. Every day is hard for him. I said, how's it going? How you doing? And you know what he said to me? He said, day by day. And I said, it's funny that you say that because there's a woman in the Bible whose name was day by day. And it was Job's first daughter. You're familiar with it. It says, he called the name of the first daughter Jemima. Not Aunt Jemima. All right. Not the syrup bottle, not that whole controversy, all right? Jemima means day by day. How did Job handle his life after all of that? 
day by day. When Job suffered again, what did he say? Day by day. Every time he looked at his daughter, day by day. What are you going to do when you're suffering? How are you going to handle it? Day by day. And you will come forth as gold. I share with you one final story to set up the final song that we're going to sing. Horatio Spafford, spelled S-P. Don't want to confuse you. I know there's many Matthew Stafford bands in this town. But this is Horatio Spafford. He was born in the 1820s. In 1870, him and his wife, Anna, were very well-known Christians in Chicago. And Dwight L. Moody, the world-famous evangelist, was one of their friends. They were very well-known people. They were blessed with great wealth. Horatio was a lawyer, and he had many properties. They had five beautiful children. And then Job-like suffering came upon their family. Their four-year-old son, their only son, died of scarlet fever. A year later, the Chicago fire consumed many of their properties and their wealth disappeared. In the midst of that, they helped the 100,000 people or so that were homeless because of the fires. They helped them. Two years after that, Horatio planned a vacation to England for his family. He was going to sail with them across the Atlantic, but at the last minute, his plans were changed. He had some business to attend to, so he sent his wife and his four daughters on the ship to head across the Atlantic, and he would meet them in England later on. On the trip, their ship was struck by another ship, a sailing ship, and it sunk within 12 minutes. All four of his daughters were drowned. Surprisingly and remarkably, Anna, his wife, survived. They found her unconscious, floating on a piece of wood. When Horatio got the news, he immediately got on the next ship to meet his wife. But here's the fascinating part. As he sailed across, as they approached the place where the ship went down, the captain pointed it out to him. This is the place. And it's believed that at that time, Horatio went into his cabin and penned the words to the famous hymn, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river, this is the first verse, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio and Anna reunited, had three more children, but in 1880 their son of the three children died at age four. They did move to Jerusalem with other like-minded Christians to help those in need. He died of malaria seven years later, but his wife continued to serve for 35 more years. In the midst of their suffering, time and time again, they sang that song, It is well, it is well with my soul. Is it well with yours today? Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Redeemer. I'm going to pray, and our team is going to come up and sing a song for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Job. I thank you that he teaches us how to respond to our suffering. 
Father, it's not easy, and I can preach every Sunday that this is how we should respond. It doesn't mean that's the way we're going to respond. But I pray, Father, that in the midst of all the things that are going on in our life, all the suffering, everything that's happening, Father, I pray that we would remember this message, that your Holy Spirit would continue to teach us as we go along in life, that when we do find ourselves physically suffering, mentally suffering, we can find comfort knowing that you have a plan and that we can come forth as gold. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.